Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the F1 show for the 2007 United States Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau and we are back at F1 show world headquarters now after on our comeback from Indy and... Good got, to be home. Yeah, sort of. now we've actually watched the race and can have a better sense of some of the incidents and uh, some of the action that we couldn't see from our seats. So why don't you uh, tell us what happened? After another fantastic pole position, Lewis Hamilton makes it two in a row, winning the United States Grand Prix and sweeping the North American Tour of the World Championship, which Hamilton now leads by ten points. Alonso kept Ham- Hamilton honest throughout the race to claim eight points for second place and give McLaren team boss Ron Dennis a 1-2 finish. Ferrari was next with Felipe Massa stepping onto the bottom step of the podium, collecting six points per third, followed by Kimi Raikkonen in fourth. Heike Kovalainen continues to get more comfortable in his Renault and finished a solid fifth. He was followed by Jarno Trulli, who finished sixth in his Toyota, Mark Webber, who gave Red Bull a big drink of energy to finish seventh, and Sebastian Vettel who climbed out of the womb and into the seat of injured Robert Kubica's BMW Sauber, amazed all weekend, and end-capped that with an 8th place finish and a point. The first teenager to do so in Formula 1 history. And that is how that race went. It was actually quite exciting. I was amazed at how much stuff we missed from our grandstand seats. There was quite a lot of passing in Turn 1, a lot of breakdowns, a lot of, uh, a lot of energy. What would you see? Well, I'll tell you what we didn't see. Going into turn one, lap one, um, we knew that Ralph Schumacher was out of the race, and we didn't quite know why. But uh, being able to watch the replays, and same thing for Rubens Barrichello and David Coulthard, uh, being able to watch the replays, we realized that was all one incident, how Ralph Schumacher sort of uh, just came in too hard and, and got on the brakes and slid out and, and just ran into Coulthard, which in turn, I think, ran, you know, bumped Rubens off the road and broke some suspensions and, and you know, ended Ralph's day right there. And uh, DC and, and Rubens were able to get back into the pits, at least, but... Uh, Understanding a little bit more about what happened there, because uh, with the live uh, being there in the stands, we basically said, "Oh, Ralph is out," and we didn't know why. So uh, being able to, to track that down, so that was you know three cars out in the very first turn of the very first lap is too bad for those guys. But uh, you know the race went on, and, and still definitely a lot of incidents to follow. Yeah, Ralph Schumacher claimed it was a racing incident. I would say it's more of a Schumacher incident in the sense that Ralph Schumacher was in the race and caused the problem. I mean, from the vantage point we could see with the cameras, it looked like he simply broke too late. The rear end stepped out on him, which caused a wiggle, and then he then plowed into uh, Rubens, who then plowed into DC. Uh, for me, that's not a racing incident. That's Ralph being uh, just not under the under the car like he should be, and just proving once again that he's just not up to this sport anymore. Yeah, but there, you know, we've talked about in the last couple of shows uh, about his uncertain future, and this. It's not quite a fair estimate to say, you know, he didn't make it through the whole race and still do poorly. But to have incidents like these, it really just shouldn't happen at this level. And you know, when it kind of the kind of money that Toyota's paying him, you know, to get one corner out of him is really, really pretty poor. So uh, I, we haven't heard anything to, to, to suggest that he's going to be out of the car in the next couple of races here. But certainly later on in the, in the season, we could uh, could see some changes at Toyota. Well, it certainly isn't just incidents like this, but. Consider that he qualified a not awful 12th, but, you know, Yarno truly qualified 8th. And Yarno truly also, like we said in the race report, finished 6th. And I think it's been quite consistent that truly has outperformed Ralph. And I think he's getting something like a quarter of the pay that Ralph is. Now, maybe that's changed this year. But I, I remember him being paid something like 4 or $5 million a year compared to 
Ralph's over 20. So it's just not adding up. Yeah, it really just doesn't make sense for Toyota to keep them on the on the payroll. Um, although one of our uh, F1 show favorites, Takuma Sato, unfortunately could only get 13 laps done until he uh, spun out and just got way off the field, way off the track and out into the uh, gravel, just got his car stuck, and that was too bad. He just he just you know overcooked one of the corners and and just couldn't get out of it. So uh, it was really too bad because he he was really racy last week in Canada. And uh, that he, he didn't have a great qualifying this weekend and uh, just got off the road and, and got out of the race pretty early on. First of all, let me say boo on the Indianapolis Grand Prix for not having a super agree official merchandise tent. Uh, I was very disappointed with that. The closest I could get to was a Honda racing shirt, which I like, and it was actually quite reasonably priced. That's because it's a Rubens shirt, dude. Well, okay, but it still says Honda on it. Anyway... So Indy has to step up there if they want to keep this race at Indianapolis and have the race stay at U in the U.S. at all, but we'll get to that later. And also, Takuma, his qualifying wasn't great, but, I mean, he was a, yet again having a strong race. He was making good passes. He had a real nice pass on Scott Speed. And he was the same Sato that we know and love. It just He just caught the corner, just one tire caught the corner of the grass, and that was enough to loop him. And unfortunately, he got stuck in the pea gravel, and that was it. So unfortunate uh, early day for him, but I, I still I still love the guy. Yeah, um, although I, I, one other driver I noticed, uh, Adrian Sutil on the Spiker, um, actually quite had a quite good drive. He was up in uh, P13 for a long time, and uh, and was you know battling right there actually with uh, with Jensen Button for a little while, and uh, with Scott Speed, and and you know passing Liuzzi, and you know made a couple of good passes, and was really looking pretty good there. So it's one of those drivers you really wonder if he were in a, a more competitive car. Um, you know, he was racing a couple of years ago, right, with Lewis Hamilton and, uh, you know, not too far behind. So uh, he, he came in second in the championship in British Formula 3 when uh, Lewis Hamilton was uh, won that. So Adrian Sutil, clearly a solid driver, and uh, you really hope he can get into a faster car at some point and, and really sort of show his potential better. But um, great job from him. He ended up 14th just after getting shuffled around with pit stops and, and you know, being lapped a number of times and so on. But, uh you know, I just wanted to make a note of that. You know, Adrian Sutil doing a solid job in the Spiker. Yeah, he d- he did do a good job. Although it was interesting that I actually read a report uh, from Peter Windsor that he doesn't seem to have the same commitment as some of the other drivers. He, he doesn't put in quite as much testing time and and really focus on improving himself uh, like the other drivers do. And I, I'd be interesting to see if. He can really step up that end of his game and, and, and really develop his natural talent. Well, I think Spiker's already read that report and responded to it because this week at Silverstone, uh, Adrian Sutil himself was out doing a lot of testing and, uh, you know, after, after the, uh, U.S. race. And so, you know, I don't know if they're, uh, have some more budget now or, you know, have a, having a good result. They have a little bit more, uh, you know, morale booster going or what, but, uh, they're definitely doing some testing and, uh, you know, definitely putting some laps down at Silverstone. Yeah, uh, for sure. And again, he he certainly has a lot of natural talent, and uh, I I have nothing against the guy. It would just interesting to see because I mean, there's an awful lot of of young talent out there, as there always is, and there's definitely people that could stand to go. And we've mentioned their names before, and we might have to mention them again, but we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, let's get let's get back to the positive drivers. Um, a couple more guys that have been doing really well this season. Uh, that just have been having bad luck. Nick Heidfeld was out of this race again, uh, this time with hydro- hydraulic problems, and he just couldn't steer. And he seemed pretty fed up with the car. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, 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 the, he gets on the radio and says, hey, guys, I'm having trouble steering, and I'm having trouble downshifting. And it's got to be frustrating to hear back from the engineers, okay, yeah, we see it, keep pushing. 
like, dude, I can't steer. What do you want? And so he, he pulled off shortly thereafter, and it's you know a sad end to, to his day. But in more spectacular fashion, though, Nico Rosberg, the Toyota and his Williams car, just uh, just blew up on the front straight. It was actually in, sort of in front of our seats there. We could see that and the fire coming out and everything. But uh, with, what, two laps to go or something? I mean, it was... Oh, and he was running so well. He was having a really strong race. He was in the top ten uh, for most of the race, and I think he was poised to collect some points and... Really looking forward to that. He's another. He's a really young driver, and has tons of potential. You know, and I think he felt like this was going to be a great turnaround race for him. And then just with a few laps to go, the thing pops on him, and it's just really unfortunate. He wasn't immature about. wasn't immature about it. He he still put the put the wheel back on the car per FIA regulations. He he got out of the way. He didn't throw a tantrum, but he was. Visibly, visibly yeah. upset about the situation. Certainly, and I'll tell you, it, not to brag, but it was very cool to see that live. To see, because you got much more of that sense of real passion and energy from the drivers. That energy, it wasn't just some, you know, set up television shot to make the guy look upset or anything like that. I mean, it was just like real frustration coming out of the guy. And uh, and again, you know, our, our our hearts go out to him. It's it's unfortunate, and hopefully he can turn around in the French Grand Prix. Rock on, Nico. At the top of the leaderboard, though, Lewis Hamilton versus Alonso. I've heard those names before. Yes, sir. So Lewis basically just took off from the start, had a little bit better start than Alonso, and was able to just keep that lead for the rest of the race. Um, although, uh, you know, three-quarters of the way through the race, uh, Alonso started catching up to him, um, to Lewis, and actually almost made this pass on him. And, and now that we could see from the, the, the additional angles that the uh, TV offers and a couple of the replays and so on, could see what a brilliant maneuver it was on Lewis's part to hold Alonzo back. Yeah, that actually happened with 35 laps to go. And what it appeared to be oh, the middle of the race. <laughs> during the race, uh, from what we could see in the grandstands, it seemed like Alonzo was a little bit quicker than Lewis with full tanks of gas, or at least, at least a, a heavier car. And... Alonzo was putting a lot of pressure on Hamilton and was had a great draft on him going down the main straight. And Alonzo brought the car in the inside. Alonzo popped for the outside, but then Hamilton wedged him on the outside. And then that entire time, under all this pressure from the double world championship, breaks at the exact right moment, hits his apexes, continues on his way. Now this time Alonzo also hit the brakes and the apexes as well. But Unbelievable. 22 years old, extraordinarily mature. Yeah, he did what he had to do not only to avoid being passed into turn one, but to get a solid enough line through turn one to get into two and three and, and not, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty common. You can, you can hold the guy off for one corner, but then if he gets the better line yeah, completely and gets open you on the door the inside, for the next, then they'll, they'll just get you on the next one. And what Lewis did was brilliant in that it wasn't enough of a new move to be considered blocking, which is outlawed in Formula One. He couldn't just weave back and forth to, uh, to, to keep Alonso behind him, but it was enough to keep his line to get you know so so Lewis himself could get a good enough run through turns two and three and still keep Alonso behind him and it was just really well done you know perfectly executed and I think really that that was the race I mean that and uh, and also Alonso had a mistake a couple laps prior that, that he lost a bit of time to so uh, you know it's it's hard to say which you know which contributed and sure it was a combination of both but um, you know very well done Lewis to uh, to be able to you know pull off these moves. Yeah, that really was the only time, other than the very first lap, first corner, that he felt real pressure from Alonzo. And despite, I mean, Alonzo put serious pressure on Hamilton, and I think a lot of lesser drivers would have uh, would have fallen and cracked. 
And it is just absolutely remarkable to see such a young person do so well. Now, now we have to look at this rookie season, and he's now leading the championship. By 10 points. By 10 points. By a race win in points, yeah. And he's being pursued by the double world championship, but also two very hungry Ferrari drivers. And now he is in the position to play defense and to work to maintain the championship lead in a rookie. And I believe this is probably one of the only drivers who has the mental capacity to do that in his rookie season. Yeah, a lot of times you hear that it's more nerve-wracking to be out in front because then you're the target. Everyone else is shooting for you. They, they're watching your every move. They're looking at all your strategy. Where if you're second or third, you're, you know, you're just hungry. You're scrapping for as many, you know, whatever positions you can get, as many points as you can get, and you're chasing after number one. But when you're the lead guy, everyone is gunning for you, and everyone is just trying to make you misstep, and, and it's just a lot more stress than even being second place. And it's amazing that he's doing as well as he is to, to, to handle that and really not showing much signs of, uh, of stress on that. Absolutely. And I am going to officially renounce what I've been saying previously, that he's a rookie and that he's going to make mistakes because that's the only way it's ever going to happen. You're it's coming like, around, buddy. I, he, is, he is absolutely phenomenal, and I have to give credit where credit's due. Two wins, the amount of pressure he's been put up against – and to still maintain his composure is absolutely phenomenal. And I believe, Jim, you were telling me about how people were saying he's not that big, good because he hasn't had any amazing runs through the field. Well, just so everyone is perfectly clear, that's because Lewis Hamilton has never started below third position on the grid. He's never had to pass any more than two people to win a race. Yeah, and he hasn't had any, you know, like some of these big spins and early on in a race you've got to recover from and you've got to scrap back as much position as possible. He just hasn't messed up yet. And it's it's amazing that we can say that for his entire F1 career, which has so far been seven races, but uh, of which he's won two and been on the podium for all of them. So it's just an amazing, just an amazing start to his career and the season and everything. So it's and it's, 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 there's no comparison really. And the reason why I am officially renouncing my skepticism is because everyone's saying, "Oh, he's also in a really good car, and it's just luck." And I was one of those people. But these last two races in North America. He was in a really good car, but he was also pursued by the double world champion in an equally good car. And he held his own each time and was more consistent than that double world champion. So that is what sold me. He is the complete package. He's the real deal. And it, it is quite impressive. And so you can't say, even, even Pharrell, Pharrell happened to be at the United States Grand Prix. For those of you who don't know, he's a hip hop producer very well known in that world. And Pharrell was going nuts for Lewis Hamilton. I mean, this guy, they were talking about how Tiger Woods is a big fan of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, it's it's really remarkable the amount of support he's getting from the, the sports world as a whole. And outside the sports world, he was on MTV UK doing Lewis Hamilton's top 10 songs of all time, which really has nothing to do with driving. <laughs> and I personally was pretty curious to find out what are Lewis Hamilton's top 10 songs hey, of all time. Was Croft work any of them? You know, I don't know because I couldn't find it. But uh, if anyone does have, uh, if anyone in the, in the UK, any of our uh, English listeners. Oh, can send it to us. We would love that. Send us that list or any like a YouTube clip or anything of that. Um, you know, we're going to keep looking. But uh, I'm curious, you know, what, what does the guy listen to? It's uh, It's interesting. One last thought regarding this whole amazing pass and everything. Uh, during the television coverage, which we watched afterwards, after the remarkable defensive move by Hamilton, Derek Daly got on, on the camera and opened his pie hole about how he hated 
blocking in Formula One, how it was such a shame that's not the way that to do it's that, such a happen. And for all those young teenagers and future drivers out there, that's not how to drive. Derek, shut up. Yeah, why, Honestly. why is Lewis in the car making these, holding off you know, the champion as well as he is, and you're out there with a microphone in your hand That was an interview. a proper defensive move. He moved once, and he held his line. That was not blocking. And for you to think it's blocking has just shown how far over the hill you were. You were a respectable driver in the late 70s, early 80s, but, dude, just go back to Las Vegas and manage your racing school and be done with it. I don't want to hear you well, he was probably talking watching about the Grand live. Prix anymore. He probably didn't get all the replays and everything that we did. I mean, you know, and it's, But so uh, without all the full information, yeah, he probably shouldn't have come out and said, oh, this is blocking and this is wrong. But um, I think Rob and I both agree that you know, no foul play involved. It was brilliantly done by Lewis. If, if, and the FIA is really on top of these things. You know, if, if it had been a blocking thing, um, they at least would have looked into it, and you know. But it, well, I even really, it, I really it, don't think there was any reason to. In Speed TV's announcing booth, no one else agreed with him. Everyone thought it was a brilliant move. Everyone else was cheering Hamilton on. I think it's just a matter of watching it live, and you know, maybe it looked different from his point of view. But uh, you know, if he's right along the pit wall or something, and he sees it from a different point of view. But whatever, Derek. Just... Derek Daly should take a closer look at his G meter, G force, G unit, and be done with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on. On a more technical note. Um, one of the things we could notice really well at the, at the uh, being at the track this past weekend was when the cars are on traction control and when they're not, and get a little better sense of how the cars are sliding around. Because with these long lenses, uh, it's kind of sometimes hard to tell. You can see you can see the the cars change direction. You can see them come down the straight, and they look like they're going really slow. But so well, the cameras are really like an eighth of a mile. They're like a thousand feet away in some circumstances. Yeah, it's zoomed all the way in, and it really just sort of flattens the the depth of field. But to be able to see these cars in real life, and one of the things I realized. Um, was how much these cars really use traction control, and some of the drivers really seem to just depend on it, where that's their way of getting out of the, just getting around these tight corners, is just hammer the throttle and just let the traction do the rest. And what is curious to me is, uh, in future years, when traction control is outlawed, how much of a difference is that going to change? You know, how much, are, what drivers are really going to benefit from that? You know, some of the drivers are already noticeably smoother than others. Some of the guys really just plant their foot and just let the traction take care of it. So I wonder, Who's going to really benefit from that? And, and it seems like a lot of guys are really going to have to work a lot harder on throttle control, which is, I'm sure, a really, really important part of these slow corners, especially on a low, di- low uh, downforce configuration like, uh, like Indy. Absolutely. I, I cannot wait to see traction control go away. I'm a big fan of technology in F1. I like seeing the cars develop to the absolute limits with aerodynamics and engine and suspension. But driver's aids does not belong in Formula One. Uh, these are the, supposed to be the best drivers in the world, and it's up to them to make the car perform at its utmost limit, not the computer, in my mind. That's, to me, that is just, that is, takes away some of the purity of the sport. And I think you're right that some people lean on the traction control a little bit too much. Uh, this brings up a really good point. Sebastian Vettel, he's 19 years old, scored a point today, finishing eighth, unbelievable. He's a fan of the traction control, though, I'll tell you and, that. He was all over the traction control. I mean, that was something that was very noticeable, that he planted his foot on the gas sooner and more aggressive than anybody, and it just, wah, 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 and it just sounded awful. That, that's what it sounds like, roughly. And uh, it was a brilliant performance on his part, but that does bring up your point. And yeah, and frankly, I'm a big fan of uh, throttle oversteer as well. So, uh, you know, I think having, you know, being able to let the drivers get the cars a little more sideways and really go through it. And I think a lot of uh, older generation Formula One drivers have said that all that a modern Formula One driver needs to know how to do is where to hit the brakes. 
um, with automatic upshift in the transmissions and no, you know, no foot clutches to do and all these things. And I don't think it's which that. is completely untrue. Yeah, I mean it's completely untrue. And in fact, Nikki Lauda was one of the biggest uh, naysayers of current F1 cars, and he was involved with Jaguar at the time. They said, okay, get in the Jaguar. He was 20 seconds slower than the current Jaguar driver. So it's not it's not just as simple as when to hit the brakes. However, it's 99 times out of 100. Every single Formula One driver on the grid will have no trouble dealing with the gas. But it's when you're in those tight circumstances, when you're trying to get the utmost out of the qualifying, when you're trying to make that brilliant pass and get on the gas just early enough, that's where you really got to be just right with the throttle. Or, in other words, it'll be easier to get it wrong. And I think having the traction control gone will make for more exciting racing. And I also think it's a lot of these little things that, um, you know, it's easy for, I think, casual viewers to not even notice, but... When Lewis Hamilton went into the pits for his second pit stop, he rocketed into the pit entrance and, and knew exactly the moment to just rock onto the brakes, actually locked up his wheels and, and got down to the pit lane speed limit inches before the line so he could maximize, you know, just make the, the, his the full pit stop take as little amount of time as possible. And it's just these little things like that where I think most drivers are going to be a little more conservative, a little more cautious and, you know, make a safe slowdown and, and, and go the speed limit, do their pit stop and, you know, and, and just accelerate out of that. But to see him, you know, get a little squirrely under braking as he's, as he's really just, you know, right at the limit and just knows where he needs to, that every fraction of a second counts and knows exactly where he can make up some of this time. Um, I just think it's, you know, these little things that are just really impressive that, uh, there's so much more to it than obviously just, you know, just a driving a fast lap, but just the really race craft and the strategy and knowing, you know, where to be fast and, and where you can afford to give up a little bit. Well, and also has potential to bring about better racing. I mean, because part of the problem with uh, traction control is it helps maximize the traction available. And like we just said, you know, the drivers can just watt the throttle and be on their merry way. If someone gets on the gas a little bit too early, slides a little bit too much, they might not get quite as good of an exit in a corner, which will mean they're a little bit slower coming up to the next corner. There'll be a little bit more variation in speeds between the, when the drivers get it right and wrong and just opens the door for a little bit more passing and a little bit more uh, purity when it comes to the racing of Formula One. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that, and I think that's an excellent point you bring up, Jim. When you, when you go to a race live and you can take a close look at what the car is actually doing, it's really remarkable all these little differences you can pick up, differences in line, when they hit the brakes, when they hit the gas, even what gear they're in in some circumstances. So that was really interesting for nerds like us to see. Yeah, we always hear that in the in the coverage. You know, Peter Windsor will say, "Oh, I'm down here at turn one, and I can really tell. You know, so and so's engine doesn't sound right." And you're like, "Whatever, Peter." And then like three laps later, that blows up, and you just you know you can't tell that at all through the TV. You know, through the coverage, the way the mics are, the way the cameras are, and whatever. But to be able to be there live and and see some of these things is was you know really pretty spectacular. Oh, and the gear shifts I thought were very impressive. It's not chink chink chink. It's whack whack. I mean, you can just hear everything. You can feel it. Mechanical just. Clunk, clunk, just so quickly, and it's just huge metal, just shock motion. And, yeah, I mean, it just really thumps you as it goes by. Hell, yeah. <laughs> Hell, yeah. One other note I wanted to make uh, was that uh, Kimi Raikkonen actually set the fastest lap of the race. Uh, you know, it was only about a tenth faster than Lewis Hamilton, who was himself only about half a tenth faster than Fernando Alonso. But that... You know, with maybe a different set of qualifying circumstances, different strategy with fuel loads and so on, maybe a different, you know, better start out of the Ferraris, that it's, they weren't worlds behind the McLarens in this race. They ended up, I mean, there was, a, you know, they were never challenging for the lead, but uh, 
And it's interesting to see that uh, Kimi could actually put together a faster lap than, than Lewis Hamilton or Alonso were running. Um, although I guess if, uh, if pushed to, I think Lewis or Fernando may have been able to put together a faster lap, but they didn't have to because they, they weren't being threatened really. But, uh, you know, I, I found that interesting. And, uh, and so the, the fastest laps in, in order from fastest to slowest, the, we had Ferrari and then Lewis, uh, or I mean, Kimi Raikkonen in his Ferrari, then Lewis and Fernando, then Felipe Massa was a bit slower, but then the BMW is right there and they're not, you know, just within a, you know, half fractions of tenths, you know, hundreds of seconds off the uh, the Ferrari pace. So if the BMWs can hold up for the whole race and not have any of these little these problems that they're still dealing with, you know, they definitely have some potential. And I think later on in the season, if they can work these things out um, and, and keep improving the car, the BMWs could really be bringing the fight to Ferrari. Uh, even though McLaren, I think, is really walking away with the constructor championship. Well, that'll be interesting to see. I- I'm not so sure of that. I think what you saw here was kind of bittersweet for Ferrari. They certainly still did not have the pace for McLaren, but it seemed uh, less of an issue as it was in Canada. And like you said, Kimi Raikkonen also had the fastest lap of the race, which is more good news for Ferrari because it seems to be this two- or three-race slump he was in seems to be on its way out. However, I was still kind of disappointed that despite the fact that he was the fastest guy uh, on Sunday that he didn't make much of any passes. I mean, he was right behind Kovalainen for several laps. Kovalainen was fifth. He was sixth. He was never able to make a move on him. And then he was right behind his own teammate, got awfully close in the draft, and still couldn't make the pass happen. Yeah, we were all sort of hoping or waiting or expecting to Kimi, for Kimi to, you know, lighten up on the fuel load a little bit and, and start to make these amazing passes. Or, oh, he's holding back now. He's heavier. And then soon he's going to break through, and he never really broke through. So it's, yeah, I guess, yeah, he put a, a fast lap in there. You know, it, it was uh, actually pretty later on in the race, I think. But, um, you know, just couldn't really make anything of it. So we're really going to have to see if, if they can get their act together for, you know, France coming up in just another week here and uh, and then for the British Grand Prix after that. Well, it's interesting to see. I think Ferrari seems to be at the beginning of clawing, starting to claw things back. And one report that came out that we can't confirm, but we've gotten from two different sources, is that Ferrari was actually having wind tunnel trouble late April and May which was causing them to be unable to develop the car at the pace they'd like. And uh, apparently what happened is the rolling steel belt in their wind tunnel broke. And what that happens, that belt is able to go 180 miles an hour. And when that breaks, a whole bunch of metal shards can go all sorts of places and cause lots of havoc on a wind tunnel. And this is Ferrari's only wind tunnel. So that is potentially a big part of their problems they've been having is that they have not been able to develop the car the same way McLaren has. Now, like I said, that hasn't been confirmed, but it'll be interesting to see if the season goes on and they start to claw back performance again. I think I think that was very likely to have happened. And, and that would be, in this day of aerodynamically, supremely well-trimmed cars, that would make a big effect on a team throughout the season. It's impressive that, you know, a single component failure can have such a ripple effect through the team that, you know, that ends up in, you know, lost opportunities for leads and for points and for, you know, money and everything else that how how competitive and how closely these these teams are are to each other that uh that, you know, just having one problem in a wind tunnel can really just have this whole ha- you know, wreak havoc on the whole rest of the team and the whole rest of the organization. It's pretty wild. Well, yeah, and certainly, but Certainly, if, if you want to have a ripple effect, breaking the wind tunnel is the place to do it. I mean, that is that is probably the most crucial tool in any modern F1 team. I mean, they're they're starting to begin doing more and more simulation on computers, 
but uh, at the moment, actual wind tunnel testing is still what reigns supreme, and I'm sure that uh, a lot of engineers were sweating bullets for several weeks there. Certainly. Well, we have about 10 more days until the uh, French Grand Prix, and then only a week after that is the uh, British Grand Prix at Silverstone, so we've got another couple of exciting back-to-back races coming up. So we obviously will keep you in touch with everything coming up in the uh, next couple of races. We won't be at those live, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, certainly great to be able to bring you all this coverage from Indianapolis. And do please uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you thought about uh, everything, the, the different format of coverage and, and all that. Uh, you know, sad to report we haven't really gotten any feedback from you guys. So uh, please do just let us know if you think it's cool, if you don't, or you know, if you have any, any feedback or questions at all. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at F1Show.com. And also, uh, we've got some video and photos that we have from our live experience at Indy that uh, we have to shuffle through and take some time to get sorted out. But we're really excited to get that up online for you guys to see to see and hear what we saw in here. So uh, look for announcements about that coming in the next uh, show. And so for that, and to uh, leave comments on any of our blog posts or uh, you know listen to any old shows, just visit us online at F1Show.com. So until we uh, bring you coverage of the French Grand Prix in a, in a week and a half, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. We'll see you then. But I really got a good battle out of the womb joke. <laughs>